Well, I have to admit, this morning's like this morning where I get up here and I feel like I've got nowhere to go but down. Speaking of down, can we turn that down a little bit? But really appreciate Jonathan and just his way of really capturing in, in such a captivating way uh, the story that really changed and turns all of our lives upside down. And uh, appreciate the band and just leading out today and just elevating the name of Jesus and uh it's a good day, so I feel like i got nowhere to go but down, but I'm going to do my best and, uh, and really hopefully uh, continue on this train of thinking that we've been on over the past couple weeks. Uh, as we talked about reconnecting with God, we've been talking about reconnecting um, with one another, and today we're talking about recommitting uh, to the mission. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of excited because uh, for the first time in seven years, I can wear this shirt uh, at playoff time and get excited about it. And uh, so that's cool. I also a little excited this morning because um, the, the Axis uh, softball team is back on top. So uh, you can see the trophy out there. Uh, they reclaimed the title and, uh, and that's exciting. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was excited about some of those things. Um, so congratulations on on that win, on those wins, and uh, hopefully some wins for the Reds. Uh, speaking of winning and losing, um, I don't know how many of you guys are uh, look like deal shoppers, like you like to go and find the deal, and I feel like when you get a good deal, you know that you won, and uh, when you get a bad deal, you fall for it, and you're like, man, I, I totally lost on that one, and sometimes you don't realize you've lost until after you've lost, and I finally figured out one of my favorite stores, and uh, it turns out I've been the loser the entire time on this store. I thought I was winning, but I was really losing, and that store is Costco. And uh, because every time I go in there, and I love, they've got some great items that I like that I particularly go in there for. One of them is, like, they've got good meats for me to smoke on the smoker. And so um, I'm, like, I've got in my mind, like, I'm going in for salmon. It doesn't matter how many times on the way over I give myself the pep talk. Josh, you're here for salmon. Like, that's it. You're just here for salmon. I know I'm going to lose because Costco has my number, and so I walk in, and I'm like, the whole time, I say, like, Josh, you're here for salmon. It's like, you don't need a flat screen TV. You didn't come for a flat screen TV today, you know? And as like, I walk by, the like, Josh, you don't need a foosball table, all right? I know it's right there, and it's conveniently and, like, boldly only this much. Like, it's, 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 it's always a deal at Costco, right? And so I don't need those. Other, and I play that game, but slowly but surely what happens is I start to think, oh, I need that. And I get distracted over here. And all of a sudden, like, I just, I don't even have a cart because I, I just came for salmon. But now I've got my hands full with all this, like, artichoke dip and all these other things that i like, I didn't need. I did not come for. But now I have all of these things. And I get at and I check out and I get into the car. And guess what's the one thing that I don't have? The salmon. I'm like, Wait, where's the salmon? Well, I didn't get the salmon because I was so focused on everything else that's happening and, and, and all the other things and all the distraction of, of uh, what was happening in the store. Now, I, I use this illustration to really tee up an idea for you today, and we start lighthearted. Now we're going to kind of dive deep to the heart of it. And, I, I, you know, I, I constantly have this question that comes up in my mind, and that's what if we come to the end of our life with our hands full with so many things, and the Lord just asks us, what about the one thing that I sent you for? And that's a challenging thought. It's a challenging thought for me, and even evaluating what is the mission, right? What is the reason that God put me here? Um, what is my purpose? And I think we can raise this question at any season of our life. Okay, what am I here for? Like, God, what did you send me for? And the truth is, the enemy's best strategy is to say, hey, look over here. Hey, look over here. I want you to focus on this. Or, hey, look over here. I want you to focus in on this. And before we know it, we have our hands full with many things, and we've missed the main thing. 
And I think it's important for us to continue to lean in, to listen, and to be discerning of what the Lord has for us. And specifically, again, as we talk about today, recommitting to the mission that he sent us for. So focus in on that mission and all the things that connect to that mission, but primarily focusing in on that mission. Because we want to hear, rather than, what about the one thing that I actually sent you for? What we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Just as his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. We've been sent and we are being sent as ambassadors. The Bible uses this word as ambassadors to carry out his work, to live out his redemptive mission, to commit, or for many of us, to recommit to making disciples, which is really the great commission. Uh, He's sending us to go and make disciples. And it's really what we've tried to make central around here. It's something we've tried to be deliberate with around here. And I'm calling us back to that mission because throughout the distraction of 2020 and all the things that are going on amidst COVID and everything else, it's easy to say, well, hey, we'll get back to that mission. We've got some other things to focus in on primarily, but we've got to continue to focus on the Great Commission. We've got to continue to focus on making disciples who make disciples. A friend of mine who goes all around the world, and he's part of a missionary organization, we were at a conference last year, and I asked him a question uh, that really caught me by surprise when I heard his answer. I just asked him the kind of obvious question, which was, okay, of all the places you've been, what's the toughest mission field you've ever been in? Like, what's the toughest mission field you've ever worked in? And his answer said, you're standing on it. It's the United States. You know, Timothy Tennant, the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, he recently welcomed incoming seminary students by saying this, welcome to life on the fastest growing mission field in the world, North America. Churches in North America and Europe are not witnessing a growing number of people who are radically unchurched, uh, one professor notes. In other words, those who have no clear personal understanding of the message of the gospel and who have had little or no contact with a Bible-teaching, Christ-honoring church. In the United States alone, there are around 180 million who have no connection to a local church, making it one of the fastest-growing mission fields in the Western Hemisphere. It is estimated that 670,000 to 700,000 people leave the traditional church every year. And in light of that, if this is, if we're standing on the greatest mission field in the world, in so many ways we have such a a rich opportunity here too. Because we could look at that through the lens of, oh man, that sounds discouraging. Or we could look at that through the lens of opportunity and say, man, like, do we have some work to do? Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get back on task on the thing that God has called us to. And let's carry out the Great Commission together. And before we do that, I think we need to answer two really important questions. What did Jesus do? And how did Jesus do it? Two simple questions, and sometimes the answer can become complex for us, but let's try to keep it simple today. What did Jesus do? He made disciples, and he called us to make disciples. How did he do it? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And in a recent leadership training, we we created an image, which I don't have for you today, but I'm going to kind of describe it so you can just kind of visualize it. Because we talk about here about revolving the world around Jesus one life at a time. That you can picture this sort of circular revolution around Jesus. And so we drew out these arrows of revolution. And we said, well, how did Jesus do it? And, And what we said was that the commission is in the invitation. So if you want to know the commission of discipleship, you go back to the invitation of discipleship. And if you remember that, it 
come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was the invitation from Jesus. And in that invitation, we see what a disciple is, but we also can see what it, what it looks like to make disciples in the way that Jesus did. And so the first thing, we're going we're gonna to talk about this today, the first part of that, um, that, that revolution around Jesus is direction. Direction. This idea of coming. Jesus says, come. He gives a directive, right? Right off the bat, as he's making disciples, he says, let me give you some direction. Specifically, what he does is he directs them to himself. Come to me. Come to me. You know, in Jesus' day, as we see today, there were so many people seeking and searching. It was a dark and difficult time, and people were just hungry for hope. They were needing direction. And so on hillsides, Jesus would speak, and people would come from all around to lean in and to listen to what he had to say. Now, some would take it, some would leave it, right? But he offered that direction. He spoke of hope, and he offered and talked about a different way of living, a different way of life. His invitation was, come to me. And we likewise, as disciple makers, are called to point people to him, to his words and teachings, to his way of living, to his undeniable works. We're called to do that with one another, to direct and sometimes redirect one another back toward Jesus. Again, his final mandate for us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I think what happens a lot of times is we forget that second part, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We, we make converts, but we forget to make disciples that are continuing to walk into well-formed maturity in the way of Jesus. And so we leave converts stranded with nowhere to go without the, truly being equipped in the way of Jesus. So he says, teach them then how to obey, give them direction, right, on how to live an obedient life. We have to be careful here because I think when we're pointing people to Jesus, we have to make sure that we're not just pointing people to our rendering of Jesus, right? Because we can get mixed up sometimes and lose sight on our own. So we have to make sure that we're not just downloading our opinions into people. Instead, uh, so in other words, we're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus. And Scripture is our best guide here. We should always filter everything through the Word of God. We should, and, and we always want to give God the final word around here. It's okay to have opinions, it's okay to discuss and dialogue, but we give God the final word. What does Jesus say as we point people to Jesus and offer direction? And, you know, the reason why people would lean in and listen to Jesus is because it was true what they said of him, and that was that he is the light of the world. He offered direction and hope. He'd go even deeper with the disciples, and he'd do what light does best, illuminating a better path forward. And in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, listen, not only am I the light of the world, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, notice here what's important. We're called to shine, but who are we called to shine on? We're called to shine on Jesus. We're not called to shine on ourselves or put a spotlight on ourselves. Rather, the spotlight on the one who is truly the source of hope, life, and truth. I saw a movie that I, I loved recently, and um, I, love, I love a feel-good movie. You know, every now and again, like, I'll be, you know, a little tear in my eye. I don't tell anybody, but, like, you know, like, yeah, that's a good one, you know. I like, I like this movie. And it was uh, the one I saw recently that's on Disney Plus, if you want to check it out, is uh, The Finest Hours. 
And it's this really compelling story about uh, the Coast Guard and how they, re- they, they are sent out to rescue um, this, this uh, oil tanker that had broken in half off of Cape Cod. And this is kind of the backstory. And so literally, tanker breaks in half. 30 guys are on the ship that did survive. And they're on half of the tanker that's still somehow miraculously afloat. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? As this storm is raging around them, what are they going to do? And so the Coast Guard is dispatched. In fact, with the Coast Guard, there was this debate even before they went out. They know they need to go out, but they realize that they might not come back. In fact, one of the lines in the movie was, one of the main guy, he goes, in the Coast Guard, they say you go out, they don't say you got to come back. And so he knew that he was going out and this crew was going out in this little boat with this little light out in this dark, treacherous sea to go and, and bring hope to and ultimately rescue all these men on this tanker. And they're filled to the brim on this tiny little ship. And I wonder, as that light came in from, the, from off over the horizon, as these guys are just realizing they don't have a lot of hope left, and they see this light that's come to rescue them and then to lead them back home, I wonder what that felt like and what that moment felt like as hope began to shine through. And I say that to say that we have to be, someone has to be willing to fearlessly shine the light of hope. Despite what it might risk us, despite what it might cost us, despite your reputation or what that might look like, we have to weigh the risk of going out because people are in need of rescue, they're in need of direction back home. People, we have to have people that are willing to say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And I'm going to shine it back on Jesus because he is the true way to hope and he's the way back home. You know, direction is foundational. It's the first part of this process. And it's really not one that we ever exit fully. We're always offering direction and understanding and deeper understanding of the scripture. But by itself, it's incomplete. We can't just have direction. In fact, I think that a lot of churches stop here. Wrongly thinking that sermons and information about Jesus gets us there, that we've arrived, if we just have a lot of content or if we just have a lot of books or resources or all that stuff's good, it's important, it's helpful, but it's not, it's not the end of it. Discipleship is more than that because truly making disciples goes beyond information and it, it provides imitation. In other words, don't just tell me, show me. So if we're going to make disciples, if that's going to be our mission, we can't just talk about it. We've got to walk it out. We've got to demonstrate what does it look like to be a living example of a Jesus follower in our day and in our time. How do we lead our families? What, do we, what does that look like? So there's demonstration. And Jesus, you can see that, again, in the, the, the commission is in the invitation. So we go back, come, follow me. Jesus says, listen, you, I want you to come. I'm going to offer you direction, but you're going to follow in my footsteps. We're going to walk through this together. I'm actually, you're actually going to walk this out. Follow me. He didn't just speak truth. He demonstrated. He lived it out for them to see. In one moment, I love in John 13, 13 through 17, he says that you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. So now that I, your teacher, and you remember this moment where he washes their feet, right? He gets down on the ground. He takes the posture of a servant. Even though he's truly the master and not just the master of of their lives, but the master of all of creation, he takes the humble position of a servant. And he says, listen, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so there's this example, and what he's saying, and, and really the idea here is this, it's, it's, it's him setting, in the Greek, it's like setting a pattern. 
He's demonstrating a pattern for them to live out. This is a way of living. And we can't just communicate a pattern. We have to demonstrate a pattern. And so Jesus demonstrates the pattern. We see another moment, and so many moments, but another moment where the disciples are watching Jesus pray. And what do they say? Teach us how to pray like that. We want to know how to pray like that. Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray like that. And it's as he demonstrates it to them that then they, they get to step into and really experience prayer in a different kind of way. Dave Ferguson rightly acknowledges, you will reproduce what you do, not what you teach, but what you do. And that goes for us as parents, right? Our kids watching us all the time, right? How many times they say something that you said. Like my kids, I, they, they'll sometimes say things verbatim, and I'm like, Wow, you even like, you, you match the tone and inflection and everything. That is amazing. But we got to be careful because the patterns that we're setting uh, become replicated. You reproduce what you do, not what you teach. The same thing goes for the people around us, the workplace that you're in, uh, all of the avenues that, that you live out your everyday life. You got to think about what kind of pattern am I leaving for others? Is it a pattern of, of Jesus uh, or is, is it some kind of other pattern? Robert Coleman, author of The Master Plan of Evangelism, he says that uh, most of Christianity is caught, not taught. Most of it's caught as we experience it through real life, as we experience it through relationship. It's caught through someone who's a relational presence, not just telling us, but showing us what a godly marriage looks like. Not just telling us, but showing us how to navigate hardship as a person of Jesus. Not just telling us, but showing us how to operate a business with integrity. Not just telling us, but showing us how to work through conflict. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-12 says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging to you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I mean, what a picture of being a disciple maker, right? To have that, we didn't just share the gospel. We shared our lives with you as well. And it's going to take more than just sharing information. It's going to be called, called, we're called to share uh, our very lives as well. As we continue to move on through that invitation, Jesus says, come, follow me. And then he says what? I will make you. I will make you. I will develop you, which assumes effort over time. Like, I'm willing to put in the investment. If you would come and follow me, I'm going to make you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. But we know that, that some of that change happens instantly, but not all that change. It's a process, right? We, uh, we actually had this weekend, we had a, a competition over here at our CrossFit gym. And we actually had some winners. We won uh, the scaled uh, division. Several of the folks that go here to Axis Church um, uh, Elizabeth, Paul, and Stephen was on the team that, that claimed the, uh, the scaled competition win, which is really cool. And, um, it, you know, what's interesting is, like, you see somebody, like, standing up on the podium, right? And you're like, that's pretty cool. And we see people in, like, moments of victory. But what you don't always pay attention to is the work behind the win. 
Like, you just celebrate in the win. You're like, that was awesome. Like, they did awesome. Look at how well they competed today. And it was all kinds of, like, rigorous challenges all throughout the day of hour of just, like, straight working out and gutting it out and seeing who stood on top at the end. But what you rarely get to see what it took to get there. And as everybody on the screen and so many of our other athletes that, that showed up to compete yesterday, all of them worked with coaches who developed them over a period of time. I need to get better at this skill. I need to get better at this strength. I need to work on this. They trained rigorously. They rehearsed and ran through workouts repeatedly. What they didn't do, I mean, some of them might have tried to do this, but it doesn't work so well. Most of them didn't just show up that day and I think I'm going to do a CrossFit competition today. Like, let's see how that goes. Like, I don't, what's a deadlift? I don't know, you know. Like, I think that happens, but it doesn't really work well because there's work behind the win. The good news for us is that Jesus does the work. You know, we just have to come in alongside him as disciple makers and say, I'm going to just be a part of your mission. I know you're going to carry out the work of de development in others. I just want to be part of that process. And so we get to do that. And Jesus knew this well with his disciples. Progress doesn't come without the process. True discipleship doesn't happen in a moment. It's an ongoing thing. It took willingness and openness uh, to challenge on the part of the disciples. It's a two-way street. You need a disciple that's willing and wanting to learn, wanting to be challenged. And it takes patience, sacrifice, and commitment on the part of Jesus as the discipler. And one of the reasons I think we struggle with the art of discipleship in American church is that uh, conversion is instant, right? But discipleship requires us to roll up our sleeves, and we like the instant win, but we're not always willing to put in the hard work of development. And we get discouraged, and we exit, and we think, it's just not working. And I a lot of times I look to Jesus when I get discouraged as I'm doing discipleship. I'm like, man, like, there's wins and there's losses. But if you look to Jesus, you watch, and I just wonder how many times with the guys, he's just, like, like putting his hand, like, what, what, are you, what are you guys talking about? Like, how many times they're missing the mark along the way, and he's just like, it's a struggle, right? I mean, like, Peter, you got Peter who one minute is getting this, like, big pat on the back, like, after he intuitively reveals that Jesus is the Christ. Like, you know, blessed are you, Simon. Like, he's getting a big high five. Like, this was revealed to you from heaven. And so, literally, almost in the same, like, train of thought, he's getting a get-behind-me-Satan from Jesus. Like, hey, he's getting rebuked in the same. And so, it was just these frustrating moments that happened. Or what about this reverent moment of the Last Supper when Jesus is forecasting his death? And guess what the disciples are doing? They're, they're debating and disputing which one of them is the greatest. They're like having a, like, I, I think I'm going to be the greatest. I think I'm we're having this, like, dispute or this debate about who's, who's the greatest. And so Jesus, in this, you can imagine just a fresh, like, guys, like, to, remember the feet washing thing? Like, we did a whole, you know, we did an object lesson and everything. And we're back to, like, arguing. It's, 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 it's whoever is the least of you that is the greatest. But Jesus doesn't seem to be frustrated, even with guys like Thomas. You got Thomas, who's seen some of the wildest miracles the world has ever seen, and he's still got his arms crossed, like, you know, until I see it for myself, I'm, I'm not buying it. You know, like, I got to see that for myself. I'm going to buy it. And you just got to imagine, you know, I would be frustrated, but Jesus continues to lean in. And then you got guys like Judas who, who never get it. He walks away completely. He betrays Jesus. And I just wonder, because Jesus is relational, it's, it's got to be painful. All that to acknowledge the messiness of the mission. And we got to acknowledge the messiness of the mission if we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to make a difference in the lives of our kids. We're going to make a difference in the lives of the people that we care about and love around us. We're going to make a difference in the lives of the people uh, in our families and so on, our workplaces. we got to be willing to understand that this is a messy 
thing, and we celebrate the wins when they come, but it's an up-and-down process often. You see, the good news is that these guys become, even though the process is ugly at times, these guys become some of the greatest catalysts for the gospel. Jesus even champions them and saying, listen, guys, you're going to do even greater things than I've been doing. It's an amazing statement, and that's what makes it worth it. Is it when the development pays off, and at some point you're standing on the podium like, we did it, like we did it, we made it. And we continue to, to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And all that is well and good, and this last part is really important, and this is where it gets exponential, because what Jesus tells them is he says, I will make you what? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to now go, and, and you're going to do the work. You're going to go down, and, and you're going to be the sent ones. As the word ecclesia in the scripture, where you were sent people. There came a time um, when his disciples were sent out. And God's design is that we would be all be sent. Um, and so that this process would duplicate itself. And in John 20, 19 through 21, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It's duplication. So they begin to do it, and if, if we did it in the way that Jesus does it, he, he gives them that, and he spends some time with them, and then at some point, he just like goes up into heaven, he's like, all right, guys, good luck, you take it from here, you know? But the good news is, he says, but surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Like, I'm going to continue to, I'm, con I'm in the middle of this mission with you, but now it's time for you to roll up your sleeves and carry this out. Bob Buford, who is a discipleship guru, he says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. My fruit grows on other people's trees. In other words, it's when I finally get to this level of duplication that I see that I'm doing the work of a disciple maker as I see the fruit in somebody else's life. It's when we get beyond just being the student and we become the teacher, we become the trainer. This uh, last week, we, we've been practicing for a while. Both of our kids have been trying to learn how to ride their bike. And uh, it was very frustrating for both of them at first, as you can imagine. And Aiden, like, he wants to get things right, and so when he was crashing, like, like one point, like, he, we just, he had to quit. Like, he's like, I'm done, and I was like, I never want to ride my bike ever kind of thing, and we're like, okay, we'll table it, we'll come back to it, and then finally, like, he worked through the process, he fell, I taught him how to fall, because it's an important thing to teach him first, like, here's how you crash well, because it's going to happen, and then we practiced on a grass hill, this whole process of kind of teaching him, and then once he learned it, like, he was just so excited about riding his bike. Fast forward, we got a bike um, for Eli, and uh, we got him on that, and um, now he's starting to try to figure it out, and he's a little bit too small for it, but we're trying to make it work, and so, I, you know, Eli just wants to keep working, but he gets frustrated too because he wants to figure it out, and one day I'm working the garage, and I'm like, he's like, Dad, can you come help me ride my bike? I'm like, buddy, I got to finish some stuff up here, and I look out, and Aiden is out there working with Eli. He's out there, he's got him, he's holding him up, he's pulling him like, you know, pulling him up, come on, buddy, like, let me up. And then he's, I'm watching, and he's like pushing him down the hill, and he's pedaling, and it's working, and I'm just like watching, like, and he's like, Dad, Eli's doing it. He's like championing him the whole way. Like, you're doing it, Eli, you're doing it, you're doing such a good job. Way to go, buddy, way to go. And I love that moment, not only because it's like my Aiden being a leader and, and helping his brother, but I love it because here the student is, he's become the teacher. 
And that's the, that's the shift that all of us have to make at some point is we have to get from the place where we're just the student, we're just soaking it all in. And at some point we start to squeeze it all out and we say, listen, Check, check. Okay. Uh, when she first came, she was just like, I'm in a sponge. Like, she wanted just everything we could throw at her, you know, from opportunities to I want to learn it. I mean, she's been through elementary discipleship more than anybody else. Like, probably like, and this might be an exaggeration, we'll have to ask her, but like 15 times. Like, she's been through the process of elementary discipleship over and over again, just wanting to grow deeper in the way of Jesus, committing to it along the way, really wanting to be an apprentice and seeing what that meant. But what I've loved to see continue to happen is she hasn't stopped at just being a student, but she's become the teacher. She's become the leader. We got to witness, um, I think it was just last year, although everything's a blur since like the beginning of this year. I don't know where I'm at or what, what day of the week it is. Um, but she got to baptize her husband, which was just super cool. And she got to baptize Derek and lead him. And then we were both got to be a part of baptizing one of her uh, close friends, um, Sarah. And so, again, somebody making another disciple, she's being a disciple make, maker. She's dedicated herself over the last five years to discipling young women in our student community. And it might be longer than that. I think it's been about five years. But she's been invested there every Wednesday night showing up and saying, I'm going to pour into young people. And I'm going to be uh, not just a disciple, but a disciple maker. And it's cool because you get to see kind of the ripple effect of what happens. And we continue to celebrate that and champion that. And one of the people that Jess had influence on was Becca. And, uh, and so just this past week, we had one of the baptisms. We saw Becca making a disciple and baptizing Zach. And only God knows um, who's, who's, uh, whose lives will be impacted as Zach's life ripples into them. And this is really, it seems simple, but this is how it goes. The more of us that can buy into being disciple makers to, to, who make disciples and make disciples, this is how we change the world. This is, this is the mission that we've been a part of from the beginning, and this is the mission that we're still a part of. This is how it goes, this is how it grows, and this is how we change the world one life at a time. And it's cool because we got to celebrate Nate as well, and just, um, just a really cool day this past um, week as we're celebrating baptisms. And I, I'm just praying, God, more of that. We want to see more of that. And I love it when I get to see a friend baptize a friend or, or somebody baptize someone in their family as they've really been the one uh, to lead them to that point of decision, and then on after that. So here's the big question I want to leave you guys with, and just one more illustration to, to kind of leave you chewing on. But the big question is this, who are you investing in? I mean, who are you really investing in on that level, on that spiritual level, or who are you investing in to make a disciple? And I don't think, sometimes I think we get caught up in the, like, in order to make an impact in the world, i got to do something big, something that's, like, visible, something that, like, just, you know, uh, you know, impacts, you know, millions of lives or whatever. And we like to kind of get caught up on the big stuff. 
but I think it's in the one life at a time, the one person. And maybe for you, it's just like, I just got to, I got one person that I'm going to lean in on this year and really invest in. And I feel like God has given me an open door because if, if all of us did that, just one person, I mean, the exponential effect of that, the life change not only for that person, but all the person that their life touch and so on and so forth, it's exponential. So I want you to be thinking about that question, who are you investing in? Uh, my, our family, just to give you an idea to, to chew on as we close, our families really, uh, they do a lot of nursery uh, type stuff. They, um, they own a, a garden center down in Lexington. And so uh, they're, like, always making us feel bad for ki- killing plants because, like, that's what I do. Like, I'm not, I can barely keep things watered, you know, but they, like, understand. And so they're, they're but they're always informing us on kind of the best way to, like, do all that kind of stuff. And one of the lines that they use all the time uh, that I like, and uh, my brother-in-law, uh, he talks about this, and, you know, he says, you know, he's, like, always, he's, like, telling me, like, uh, you know, Josh, you know when the best time is we just bought this house? He's, like, you know when the best time to plant a tree is? And uh, I'm, like, I'm sure you're going to tell me, you know, like, when's the best time to, to plant a tree? He's, like, well, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. I'm, like, well, yeah, that makes sense, you know, but I didn't plant a tree 50 years ago, you know, so, like, there's that. He's, like, okay, you know, and the point is this. The best time to plant a tree is 50 years ago, but you know the next best time to plant a tree? Today. Today. I didn't plant one 50 years ago. I didn't plant one 40 years ago. I wish that I had, and I'm never regretting those seeds that I planted back when because they become these full-grown trees. But the best time to plant a tree, the best time to plant a seed is now. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to evaluate what does that look like for you because we eventually are going to reap what we sow. We're eventually... As, as, as time ticks on and life ticks on, we're going we're gonna to see the impact of the seeds that we planted 50 years ago, right, or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever that might be. And so let me just encourage you, what seeds are you planting today? And the Bible tells us to continue to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers in his harvest field. So we're going to close and then pray. Father God, we give you thanks for today and this opportunity to get to just sing out your name the one who truly makes a way for us, the one who truly brings hope to us, the one whose life that we want to model our lives after, the one who we want to be just like when we grow up. We want to be just like right now. And we know it's a process. And God, we want to be a part of your mission. We want to help other people find hope in you. We want to help other people find life in you. For those that are hesitant out there, I just, God, want to pray that you would give them just a sense of courage and release them from this feeling that they have, have, they have to perfect the way of Jesus before they can lead others in the way of Jesus. As long as they're pursuing the way of Jesus, God, I just pray that they would be willing to lead others as they walk that journey as well. And so, God, we want to plant seeds. We want to be your workers. We want to be your servants, God. And we know that you will take care of the result of that. And so help us to start sowing seeds right now in the lives of those around us. We pray.